Welcome to a new episode of Horrorversary. Oh my goodness, I am so excited. Here we are. It is the end of April and oh, the, the flowers are blooming. And once again, our reanimated corpses rise from the ground for a new spat of episodes. Can you tell? That, that I'm excited. Oh, we took some time off and here we are. We've got so much going on the next couple of weeks. We're going to have great new guests. We're going to have returning guests, uh, just like the person we have tonight. Somebody who has talked a wild movie in the past and here they're going to talk about another wild movie. I'm going to pause, catch my breath. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Hi, I'm Adrian Torres, your host as always. And this is Horrorversary. Simply put, it is a podcast that celebrates horror movies celebrating anniversaries. Now, when I say anniversaries, I, I, I need to, to spring that back a little bit because what I mean by that is we don't go for the 12s, the 25s, the, the 42s, whatever weird year one. No, no, no. We stick hard and fast just with the milestones, the 10s, the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s. Living in this digital digital age that we do, when there's social media all over the place, you look at Twitter, you look at Instagram, you look at Facebook, and you're going to find people when you hit those milestones going, oh, we need to talk about this film. We need to talk about this film. It, it might be a film that people have loved for years. Maybe it's a movie that a whole new generation is finding. But any year you look at, there's a film we're celebrating when it comes to the world of horror. A at least that's what I believe. And what better place to look at a film like Stephen King's Sleepwalkers comes out in 1992. It's directed by Mick Garris. Steven Spielberg's the writer. What, what, what more do you want? Of course, when I say that, there's lots of people, you know, who are listening out there who are going, I, I don't remember this film. I don't I don't know this film. And that's why we're here to talk about it. And when you got to start with something like this. You have to start with the man of Stephen King himself. And what can you say but. Okay, I got I got really excited and carried away. Just excited to talk about this film and, and talk about horror movies for you all. You know, and I couldn't think of a better person to kick things off than bring back this guest who's been on before. When they were here before, they talked Stephen King again. And they were here talking about Graveyard Shift. You can easily go and listen to that episode. It's a wonderful and weird discussion. And I thought, you know, if I'm kicking things off, I need to bring back this individual. I'm going to let him tell you all the wonderful places you can easily find him out on the Internet. But when I think of him, I think of him as the glue that keeps a wonderful little genre website going, a little website called Neon Splatter. And if you're not sure about it, you need to go check it out. But I'm here to talk to the man behind it, the wonderful Mr. Rob Dean. How are you doing, Rob? Hello, I'm doing all right. How are you tonight? Good. There's been absolutely no problems behind the scenes whatsoever. Everything is tip top here. We're doing great. And uh, I'm finally you know, happy to finally discuss Stephen King's Sleepwalkers. Now, like I said, there's many places that people can find your writing out there. So please let them know where you can they can go onto the interwebs and find everything that's Rob Dean. Sure. Uh, you can go to Daily Grindhouse, uh, Bullseye. Um, I did, as, as you mentioned, uh, my website started and have a bunch of contributors for is uh, neonsplatter.com. And otherwise, you know, just follow me on Twitter at Neurotic Monkey and you can find usually post my stuff there. 
Neon Splatter is one of those websites that, that I like telling people about and that I think the good sign of a website is anyone who's contributing to it. Now, and you look at people who, you know, want to expand their voice, people who definitely have their voice out there. And I think that's what makes it really great is that you go on to the contributors page that you have and you just take a look at the people who've written there and you've got lots of people who have, you know, lots of credits to their name. And, you know, I, I think that's awesome. So that's why I wanted to to bring it up. Not, not because I necessarily have a couple things that I've written there, but which are great. But you, you look into the false modesty thing and I don't have time for it. <laughs> no, we, I, don't, we, don't. I, we don't have time when we could be talking about certain feline monsters. I don't want to give anything away, but I mean, yeah, we if, if we're talking, false yeah, false modesty can't be done with Stephen King. Th- those two things yeah, don't go. go together. <laughs> exactly. Because he's here to scare the hell out of you. <laughs> Uh, that's the best trailer ever. I, I, it doesn't have anything to do with this movie, but seriously, <laughs> if you have not seen the trailer for Maximum Overdrive, you are missing out. Stephen King is amazing for 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 many reasons. Does could be his writing and novels, could be you know many different courses that he's had over the years. Um, it could be his appearances in film, uh, but he's always been a showman. I think. And I definitely think that that trailer uh, shows his, his showman spirit. Uh, And his tolerance for cocaine. Way to go. Allegedly, I guess, (laughs) but come on people. We're all adults here. Are we, are we though? Are we though? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about sleepwalkers. So I hope we're adults if we're talking about sleepwalkers. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) uh, if you're watching sleepwalkers and you're not an adult, you're going to have, Lots of so questions. many questions. <laughs> uh, if you're an adult and you're watching Sleepwalkers and you also have questions, that just means you have a pulse. So, yeah. Um, Paid attention. Check anything else at the door. Now, like I said, we keep things very simple here. And what I mean by that is every episode, we have five basic questions that we ask the guests who comes on. Uh, where the discussion goes from there just depends on how things go. Sometimes you might end up with an extended discussion trying to figure out what Pamela Voorhees uh, did in between the years of her son's death and when she decides to murder a whole bunch of camp counselors. Sometimes it might be going into the effects background of people who worked on something like The Blob. Um, there's many tangents that we can go. You you never know, but it's always a a fun place to be when it comes to the questions because i think it helps ground everything and that any of these horror movies you ask these questions and the conversation can go anywhere but to begin with the first question we have is always the most important so rob are you ready Mm -hmm. to go down the rabbit hole here let's make it happen it's already already mistakes have been made uh the very first (laughs) question that I like to ask is when was the first time you saw Stephen King's sleepwalkers? Uh, first was when his stakes. Yeah. There's going to be some cat puns. Uh, the first time I saw it was on UHF, uh, some UHF station, probably channel 56 WLVI for you folks in Massachusetts. I was probably like 11 or 12. If it was airing then. Um, and, Obviously, it was edited down, but it still had a bunch of like the creature gore in it, like not mm-hmm. what the creatures were doing to people, which we'll get into. But like when like the creatures get hurt, they could show it, and it's also I guess as you look back on, if you look at these ratings things, it's actually a huge loophole that I encourage all budding filmmakers 
listening to this, use that. You can mess up creatures as much as you want. Like, well, it's creature course. It doesn't count. <laughs> so there you go. Um, but yeah, so I really enjoyed it. There were elements due to the editing that I didn't understand the full ramifications of at the time. And then eventually I would re- revisit it and uh, really almost more than watching it uh, at that age was I just that poster and the cover art for the VHS just burned into my brain. Was it the colors? Um, yeah. I mean, there's these <laughs> super bright colors for the name. I think it's like a bright yellow or green with like a claw mark. And then there's like these, this great like pink and purples and dark. I mean, yeah, legitimately look up uh, the poster for it and it's great. And it's has that pulpy paperback novel feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it was just a very, I don't know. I was also like, what are they, these cats doing? Because these cats in a field and like there's <laughs> lights coming on a house. And like for some reason, you're like, some, some bad's going down. Even though it's literally just like some cats being like, what's going on at that house? Yeah. You're like, some, nothing good. Get away, cats. I, I, th- I think what you mentioned about having the, the pulpy paperback feel uh, was key to it. And I think anything that had Stephen King attached to it had like, crazy colors like the one that always stands out in my mm-hmm. mind is uh is tommy knockers having like that that shocking bright green almost like mm-hmm. a neon green with the yellow letters um the dark half has the purples and then kind of like the greenish yellows on it thinner has like several shades of indigo and purple on it like i think that there was something that if you you were attached to stephen king you really wanted to you know uh, up that factor that it was it was somebody who was a a novelist who who was doing it yeah yeah you definitely wanted to evoke um like kind of like yeah the sense of that the lord paperback and also uh just the layout i mean even though obviously the name was Stephen king so it's a marquee name a good hook uh-huh. but it also makes it look like a book you know you'd see like stephen yeah. king author name and title so see stephen king's it you're like oh okay um you know it kind of has that nice parallel to it and i'm sure that's also um you know, they want to have like kind of that reach out to people like this is like something you would see in the grocery line. I think when they still sold paperbacks in the grocery line. Now, I am a thousand years old, by the way. I should point no, that it's out. Okay. I, 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 there's plenty. I think <laughs> th- there's plenty of trailers you see maybe for like Nicholas Sparks or YA uh, novelizations nowadays yeah. that have, you know, from New York Times bestseller or bestselling novel. They, they don't they don't yeah. care how many uh, numbers it is unless it's like a giant science fiction movie type thing right. but I, I think about it for for Looking a second you battlefield earth i think that one they're like it's over a million copies sold and it's like you primitive rat brain like a million that can't <laughs> a million's not that big of a number nowadays um <laughs> but no but that's actually a, a weirdly a strange point for what i was thinking in mind is that so we have stephen king's before this and I was trying to think in my mind how many other authors or personalities have the, the you know, their name apostrophe S before the title of a film. And you you have it with with authors usually, but you don't have that many of them. Like we, we know no. Stephen King. And I think the only other one that I can think of is like John Grisham having, yeah. you know, John Grisham's The the Rainmaker, John Grisham's The Chamber, John Grisham's, you know, like you had those, but I mean, but you, you just mentioned somebody that like, you don't, you don't have that with all the authors, you know, it's not like no, Dean yeah. Koontz's, you know? 
Although Watchers isn't terrible. Phantoms. Well, no, but but I'm saying like that. Yes, but yeah, but but like the others, the the creative person's name being attached to it, like you mentioned, Stephen King's it's like Michael Crichton. You think would be on there at least for something like again, not for like Jurassic Park, but like Michael Crichton's Sphere that would have definitely gotten more people to see exactly because that's what was missing from Sphere. Was that was the only thing that was the miss. That was a mistake. <laughs> nothing. No, nothing else. If uh, I had one note to give Sphere, <laughs> put Michael Crichton. Just add Michael Crichton's. Maybe and less then, Barry Levinson. Sh- no, again, I had just the one note. So just if anyone has something else, I'm not seeing it. I guess it's my point. <laughs> I'd say that's understandable. I think that's the only time in probably <laughs> the last 15 years that anybody has uttered a sphere. So, I mean, you can mention I mean, phantoms all you want. People will talk about phantoms. I don't. Yeah, that goes deep. I don't. I don't think people talk about spheres. So, I don't. There, I don't we're out there. We, you know, we talk. <laughs> there, there's dozens of you. There's dozens of us. <laughs> dozens. I, I think more people have talked about uh, the rift in, in the last couple of years since that's popped up on on streaming on like Tubi and, and Amazon Prime. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just just go look up the rift and and have yourself a good time and be like, oh, I can finally finished the the trifecta of needing to have three movies that feel like the abyss and i've already got uh deep star six and i've already got leviathan i needed a third one well there you go the rift i helped you out in the same year or around the same year and same with lords of the deep the difference with the rift and sphere i think is that the rift is uh somewhat entertaining (laughs) it is it's very entertaining yeah i'm saying whereas sphere again I got it. I got the wavelength was on and it was like, it was defiant. It was like, no, I will not entertain. I was like, you know what? I respect it. That's why it needs to have Michael Crichton's on top of it. Own it. <laughs> maybe in the, in the future when it hits its a uh, 30 year anniversary, maybe, maybe it'll get hold you to that. But of, of course we're not here to talk about sphere. We're here to talk about Stephen King's sleepwalkers. And I'm going to mention Stephen King before every single time, because that's that's how it is. He he demands that respect. Now, that leads us to question number two, which sometimes people can get tripped up on. So I try to change the wording so that we keep it both short and we don't give too much away, even though there's not really any twist in this movie. Well, I mean, if you're going into it for the first time, I think maybe there's a twist in the first like 20 mm-hmm. minutes, but they don't really. It's not much of a reveal by just saying, well, what the fuck is that? Um, and the second question is in as few non-spoilery words as possible, describe the plot of Stephen King's sleepwalkers, uh, mysterious and nomadic mother and son move to a small town in Indiana, um, while hiding their secrets, uh, the son pursues, uh, a girl in his high school class. His creative writing class. Did you have a creative uh, writing class in your high school? Of course, I work on a nerdy as hell genre website. Yeah, I had a creative writing class. And, did you oh, know? No. Yeah, we, I, we did here, but I didn't know because it, it feels like a construct of films. Oh, yeah, I could totally see that. Well, I, we didn't have one where someone would just read their story the entire. You just like hand it off, like everyone go read it, and then half the class didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, we didn't do that. 
or or have uh, corporal punishment like this movie does. I was like, I don't think that's a thing, but okay. Well, no, because I was thinking about it because they had this. I, I've like I've seen it in several movies. Uh, I want to say Heather's. Maybe I'm I'm wrong. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, and like there's a handful of others, but it doesn't feel like it. It feels like one of those constructs uh, that's made or that shows up in movies so that characters are able to externalize certain feelings that yeah. they're having. Um, I know that we we did have people read, uh, you know, portions of the stuff that we were reading, but my my high school counted it as an AP class, and then we also had oh uh, advanced oh God what was it uh, oh sorry advanced dramatic lit honors was an AP course check out the big brain on bread that's impressive nice oh, uh, that one yeah. was basically we read. Uh, we read different plays out loud, and then uh, dissected and wrote papers on, on, on what the you know the author was meaning and stuff like that. So it sounds like there was literally preparation for this this podcast. You basically you <laughs> sat around, read stuff, the, and then talked about what we just did. The only two AP classes I ever took <laughs> in high school prepared me for for this moment in to this talk moment. about Stephen King's Sleepwalkers. <laughs> This is what it, it's all led up to this. And after this, you're just going to turn off the light and close the door. <laughs> just, like, no. just, just cry. Just cry. <laughs> We're done here. Uh, now, but you put it succinctly. I think that everything that you said really hits the nail on the head for for the film without really giving anything away and that's mm-hmm. important because we're going to take a quick pause right here in just a second once i get done with the spiel because the only real way to to jump into a film that's you know 30 years old or to look at it like the way that we're going to is to to literally get into the nitty-gritty and you have to get into spoiler territory you you have to get into spoiler territory when you're talking about this movie there, there's no way around it uh, now anytime one of these films pops up and is easily accessible for people online. I like to let them know where it is that they can find it. And this movie, I'm going to have to put up with uh, with some you know commercials. And I do apologize for that. But it's free. If you go on to Pluto TV, you go to their on-demand section. And this one is on there. Go under horror. It's actually going to be one of the first ones that pops up. I didn't even need to type anything in. I went over to horror. And it, and it showed me it was right there. Uh, you've got a couple, you know, commercials you're going to have to go through, but it's worth it. It's free. It's a Stephen King film right there. So we're going to take a pause right here. All right, there we go. You, It was your job to pause it there. We gave you a couple seconds. So, you know, now, now we get into, I was going to say the good stuff, but I mean, when you're starting out with kind of the beginning, um, if the good stuff is uh, vivisected, and uh, hung and dismembered cats. Um, you might Maybe need some. to talk to somebody. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to everyone that just paused and actually did watch it, that was some weird shit, right? Now we're going to talk about it, so that'll be the fun part. <laughs> um, Every- yeah, it opens with Luke Skywalker navigating a tree full of dead cats. Which I'm would like, you say... Right, you've got my attention. Which would you say is more terrifying? The number of dead cats or Mark Hamill's mustache? He loved that mustache for in the nineties. It was like the Giver and that uh, the eye section of body bags. Yeah, well, that's what I think of, and that's what I wondered with his body bags. I believe is a year later. Yeah, I think from so. this, so it almost feels like he's growing the mustache for that movie. 
<laughs> he's just in prep. He's like, I know it's coming down the pike. I gotta. Yeah. I, I think I can forgive it for that. And I think I could have forgiven it yeah. if he like leaned into it and like brushed it a little bit. We also have like slick back hair. It's a lot of, it's a lot of look. And he's also doing a voice that like kind of Mark Hamill was, it was obviously just fascinating, but like he's also during the time he was doing Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. When he was on screen though, in a lot of these roles, especially the guy over this and body bags, um, he takes like a real gruff, gruff voice he's like, ah, someone really hates cats. <laughs> just my mustache, my slick back hair. All right, let's see what's happening. And just like, you're like, I feel like he was trying to be like, I'm not Luke Skywalker. I'm a gruff police man. I liked seeing him. I was sad that we didn't get oh, yeah. more of him. Yeah. Does that make sense? Definitely. It was like, a, it was an odd tease. Yeah. Because um, you're like, oh, and. It's a very clever way of being like, okay, he's in this. Oh, that's a weird situation. And it's like, <laughs> all right, now off to Indiana. You're like, ah, it, got it, me again. It's it, it's something that we had a lot in the '90s that I thought I don't think we talk about enough was that while TV wasn't what it is today, now you you still yeah. had lots of really big TV shows and and things that people were watching. This has a cold open feel to it that you would have in like the pilot of a, of like a 90 minute uh, premiere. Yeah. Because you, you, yeah, you just have, you've got some weird stuff going on and then you've got the <laughs> and, and Stephen King's yeah. on Stephen King's sleepwalker. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what it feels like. You, you could easily Absolutely. see in a way that like, you know, that they it's, uh, I guess the best way to hearken to it would be uh, like the incredible Hulk. Yeah. If but if if you were picking up if the beginning of an episode was the end of the previous <laughs> uh exactly. incredible Hulk, or, like he's left yeah. town, but you're seeing whatever <laughs> destruction the Hulk happened to leave in the last place, and it's like, oh, he had to get the fuck out of there. Here's the new <laughs> town he's in. And every single opening is like, I guess someone was real angry. And then like <laughs> then it cuts over and it's like Dr. David Banner. Yes. Um well, no, like X-Files used to open that, right? It would open with yeah. a weird cold open. And then eventually that's how they get called in. Or they wouldn't. And you'd be like, what happened to that lady? Like, I don't know. Aliens? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, but that, it opens up. It also opens, something that's fascinating about, and well, I was getting to more uh, substantive subject matter, but uh, it's very specific um, <laughs> locations. Like, this one's like, letting you know, this is this opening is happening in uh, Bodega Bay, uh-huh. or uh, which is also the place where Puppet Master films. It's the hotel that uh, Toulon lives in, and Puppet Master one, really and two and three. Yeah, it's the one that uh, it's the way it overlooks. It's it's just a matte painting, but yeah, it's Bodega Bay. Huh. It's just a painting. Um, and I was like, oh, it's a fun, it's a fun wink to the Full Moon series. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, that's that's really interesting that you mentioned that, and that that definitely goes into the next question that that we we have which I'll, I'll frame a little bit different oh i'll mention it first and then i'll 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 kind of go to this point first and then we can extrapolate in general but that's uh what would you say are some of the the, the standout moments or, or marquee moments of this film and but i want to go into a subsection first and mention that do you think that the the little cameos and winks and easter eggs that are in this movie is definitely something that you take away from this film compared to other movies that are made at the time Absolutely. I think there's a real horror handshake in all of these like moments of, you know, you'll have like a, 
Castle Rock will be mentioned or um, a certain character's name is used or there are a bunch of cameos by um, various uh, horror filmmakers and writers. And it's not something that would be jarring to anyone else, but it also be kind of a way to like out your nerd friends where they'd be like, oh, because <laughs> like, they're excited to see Toby Hooper with a cigar walking around. Um, so that would be like kind of that moment. And those, I think, kind of stay with it. And it was kind of a, it fits in with how we know Mick Garris now, because this mm-hmm. was only his second, I think, time directing after Critters 2. But like, we know that he's like huge, you know, he's the uh, evangelist for horror and, you know, all these other things, all of his projects for the past few decades. But like, oh, he's really showing off like this, his true love of the genre of these other uh, horror icons. Mm-hmm. And it kind of does create this element of like, ah, oh, we're, we're all having fun here. We all love this stuff, right? All right, good. And I I think it's really interesting with the contrast that it stands to what we have nowadays, which mm-hmm. uh, and, and what we had even back then was that you had lots of times where people would take the names, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be Hooper or Carpenter or Barker and would mm-hmm. find ways to insert them, whether it's, you know, a street right. sign or a character name. But here you actually have these figures, you know, the, these of course, we know what he does in the future, but these masters of, of of horror who are here getting to to share the frame together for for a minute takes on, you know, a different, you know, little little meta level to it. Yeah, I like to think that they were all standing around like craft services and, and he's like, look at you all, you masters of horror. And then like a <laughs> light bulb just went off. He's like, yes. like, there's something to that. Because in real life, he did create like that as a group. Yeah. They would hang out and then eventually it led to the TV series and more. And yeah, no, he uh, it's, it's this really just nice moment. And you could just tell, uh, it seems like they all had like a lot of, you could tell it was a group that was having fun. You know, these guys like, ah, we all love movies. And the, probably the most obvious cameo to people would be Stephen King. But at Mm -hmm. that point you're like, ah, he shows up in every movie. Yeah. Uh, So it'd be like, it wouldn't be. So even then it wouldn't be like a shocking thing. You're like, ah, there he is. Okay. He did his country bumpkin thing and he's out. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, uh, that goes back to, you know, mentioning that he's a big showman, you know, yeah. that, that he, he's a big personality. I mean, there's plenty of authors that, that out there that you don't know what they look like. You don't, <laughs> you don't have any idea of them. I think Stephen King is, is one of those figures that you see a picture of Stephen King. The majority of people know who he is because he's, right. he's constantly, you know, been somebody who shows up with with the cameos like he did for many years. And then we we had that weird lull that's going to be really interesting to look back on, you know, 10 years from now to to think about that period of time that we had where you had some Stephen King stuff that was made, but it was kind of under the radar. Mm -hmm. And now it's flipped and everything you look at every year and there's, you know, at least one to two big projects that are being done yeah. in the Stephen King verse, whether it's, you know, TV or movie that that's going on. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird cycle. It seems like kind of, right, there's an unfortunate coincidence with this movie <laughs> with it, but it does seem like, like almost like a, like 20 year cycle or something like that where mm-hmm. people are like, Oh yeah. You know, like how people kind of like keep going back and like, Oh, this, cause it's built on prototypes or built on archetypes. Uh, they're relatable things. I mean, obviously they can be dated, yeah. a lot um and but they're, they're still malleable enough that you're like okay here's the central fear which we all understand and that's kind of what he's really good at mm-hmm. along with creating his characters and then everything else you can kind of just move around and be like okay well they're they're not as obsessed with this thing or 
or in this case, like for Sleepwalkers, one of the best parts for me is the introduction of Machin Amek. We'll get more into that. But like she <laughs> has a very uh, 80s, late 80s, early 90s thing yeah. at first where like there were characters who were literally defined just by having a Walkman. Like their <laughs> characters like, oh, always listening to that Walkman. Literally in Friday the 13th Part 5, that can't violate her characters that she listens to Walkman. And then when she takes it off, it's like time to dance. And then she gets killed. Yeah. Spoiler for five. But, um, like, but there are a bunch of characters like, huh, man, that person loves that Walkman. So it's just a funny thing when you start off with that. Like, oh, that's what this is going to be. And then it's like, oh, no. I th- and Garrett, you get you. I think part of like the Walkman such an interesting thing um, because we're at the point now that people have a fondness for them. And, yeah. but Walkmans, when you see them at different points in the movies that, that they're being highlighted is because once upon a time they were like the first iPods mm-hmm. when they came out and that the first Walkmans when they're out there weren't, weren't cheap. So like it was a prized possession. If, also it's hard to hide. Yes, because they were quite large and bulky. <laughs> you, like you had to have them on your on your hip. It wasn't a choice. Like you know, like sound wave the Transformers to scale. <laughs> exactly, that's how large he is. But uh, yeah, and it, it was just. It's also kind of. It became a real generational joke. Yeah, with like boomers to whatever the Gen Xers and millennials in those movies, because it would always be like huh, they were in their own insular world. Like, oh, buddy, you have no idea what's coming. <laughs> I got so bad news for you about what's about to hit. So diving into Sleepwalkers, there's no real <laughs> yeah. easy way to dive into it. We, we've got the cold open, and then we... we, we... Oh, there's also like a desiccated dead girl that pops out. There's a Oh, sorry. We do have the cold open. Yeah. But it is maybe the only time I've seen like a fairly, a well, like an earned cat scare. Yes. Like even Alien, the cat scare, you're like, all right. I mean, it works, <laughs> but you're still like, I feel played. But this one... They open a closet and a cat jumps out. Yeah. Uh, There's also like Friday the 13th part seven. It's all Friday the 13th related. Um, And a cat jumps out and you're like, ah, and then comes out of Desiccate Corpse. But I was like, that's the only time I can think of where like the cat's like, ah, you're like, yeah, there should be cats all over this place. It also made me um, love practical effects. Like I love when you have little things that, that show up in it that, you know, I don't, I know that it's, it's an iconic moment and everything that everybody loves but still that the thing that feels weird and distant in the ring to me is that you know they go to the closet mm-hmm. and they've got the girl that's in there but it's clearly manipulated by cgi it's good yeah but but you can still tell whereas like in this movie having you know the desiccated you know soul sucked out corpse yeah. you know but the fact that they have all the little details like the flower and the hair the fact that she has braces you know yeah that that it sticks out that that having it be tangible and everything like you can feel how how gross it is that i think it adds to it but we jump to indiana where where we we get to see um charles uh brady giving you the first inclination that um he's not <laughs> quite right um do they ever pay that off? I just realized that. Sorry. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> but but it, it's it's the first sign, which I I think yeah. we need to get into the discussion uh, in general about his character. Is that the first time you see him, he's staring at the high school 
yearbook, even though he hasn't been there for a year and it's the middle of the school year. So I don't know what I figured is he went into the library and took it and because took one cat burglar. Okay, so we're going to these aren't going to stop anytime (laughs) soon, but he he's he's staring at it uh, and we see uh, Machin Amix Tanya that he's staring at and he pulls out a switchblade and starts Mm -hmm. to cut tea into his skin. And as you said, it doesn't get paid off because it's not a thing that we see at any other part in the film. But that was, I wasn't sure if it was a T. I mean, it looks like that, but I thought it was also supposed to be the eye of Horus. Sorry for my nerdery. Have you been, if anyone out there is watching uh, <laughs> Disney Plus Moon Knight, you should be seeing that symbol all over the place. Um, but like, it looks like, you know, the Egyptian like sign of Horus, which is, you know, someone watching you at all times. So uh, I was like, maybe because also there's that credit scene where they're constantly showing, like, yeah. cats through history. Yeah, but I mean, the, I I think we can discount that at the same time because I know that oh, yeah. that uh, Mick Garris did come out and say that there were only a couple things that he added to uh, oh, yeah. the the script that weren't Stephen King's. One is that that opening uh, little bit of the passage that's that's in this uh, book that doesn't exist. That yeah, that that he created uh, and invented for the movie because he wanted to add a little bit of lore. Uh, and backstory to the characters, which is also why you have, you know, the in the opening credit sequence, you know, all the different, you know, <laughs> as you said, cats throughout history and everything. But it doesn't really go into it because it's just kind of a tertiary piece. So that's why I yeah. think it's just a T. No, possibly. Either way, don't worry about it because it doesn't come up ever. But the reason why it's I mentioned that is <laughs> like the it's plot. Like- what's interesting about the movie, it's a, it's a, an hour and 45 minutes, but you can steamroll through the plot, which I'm going to just so we can talk about it uh, as a whole. So Charles is infatuated with Tanya. Of course, the reason why he's infatuated with Tanya is because he and his mom, who are an incestuous relationship, coming back to in a minute, um, (laughs) they... Put a pin in that. (laughs) Very large pin uh, (laughs) with a mirror next to it. Um, They are basically, they're they're kind of gypsies in a way. These, These gypsy cat people whose lives we don't fully understand. But all we know is that uh, kind of like anybody bringing back the Stephen King for all of it. I apologize if this is a a minor spoiler for it, but in Dr. Sleep, um, they have the, what the, what's the, the true knot and the true knot have the, these canisters that have the souls uh, or the, sorry, the steam of people who are able to shine and they feed off that kind of like that. These cat people, um, feed off the the essence and energy of virgin women, which is why you had the corpse that you had at the beginning and why he's coming after after Tanya to kind of lure her and groom her so that he's able to steal her soul and then share it with his mom. Because if they don't constantly feed, then they basically are going to to wither away and and die and cause havoc along the way. So he's pursuing her, trying to become you know part of her life, while also um, living his life as a student and causing problems throughout town. And then everything comes to a very bad head. When you break down the actual plot of the movie, it doesn't sound like there's a lot that happens. It's all the small interstitial pieces that are Mm -hmm. in there that make it up. But the basic 
premise is this guy is trying to groom a girl so that he can steal her soul and save and also share it with his mom who he has to have sex with to transfer the soul part into her so that they can keep on living until they go to another town. Oh, and they're also, even though they're cat people, they're allergic to cats. And cats hate them. Yes. To the point where there are just cats that are just showing up out of the woodwork and they're having to put a ton of traps around the house. But I mean, that's it. You can easily within like just a minute or two, you can hammer out, you know, like everything that happens in the movie and that yet it's all the pieces that are in between it that, that, that builds it out, which is weird because you can't do that with every movie. No, definitely not. And I think that's, um, kind of a testament to this movie and one of the things you know it's a movie that's i why it's always stuck with me is because it has a lot of odd bits and it's not odd story bits i mean even like to i think there's actually two probably big uh influences in the movie one is uh paul schrader's cat people yes like there's no like oh incestuous people who are (laughs) half cat and have to be together and also are the last of their kind Uh, i don't see a connection and then the other thing was the general story from the last uh, the last segment of Cat's Eye. Oh. Where Troll uh, is stealing the breath of young Drew Barrymore until a cat intercedes. And I feel yeah. like speaking walked away and was like, there's something there. That wasn't quite it. But I, I mm, I'm going to, I'll figure you out. And then like he had that in his head, saw Paul Schrader's cat people. And it's like, I got it. Sleepwalkers. I did, <laughs> when, did, when, did, when did cat people come out? Uh, 1985, wasn't it? Oh, I don't remember at the top of my head. Oh, please let it be. It'd be amazing if I was right on air. But it's uh, uh, 82. 82. Oh, okay, even earlier. Anniversary. There you go. Which, Wait. of course, for, for people who haven't seen that one, that's uh, Malcolm McDowell and Natasha Kinski. And John Hurd and Ed Begley Jr. Well, yeah, but I was I was thinking about the main. <laughs> the main and um, the song, <laughs> Putting Out Fire with Gasoline. <laughs> that's kids. Have you seen Inglorious Bastards, kid? That song. Yeah. Yeah. But for for this one, it's. Yeah. Like the the incest is is something that when you talk about it, you're kind of you you kind of tiptoe around it at first. For like people who haven't seen the movie, whereas the movie itself lets you in fairly early because you've got the the mother and the son. You've got uh, Charles and Mary, you know, who are just talking about things just casually and then there's some light face playing and then some kissing yeah it's like it is very set up like they are mother and son and you're not you don't know that angle of it yeah um you're like okay and you're like oh but they're together and they're gonna you know these this mother and son are against the world and you're like oh there's uh there's a lot of other stuff going and since there's like two movies that are very similar about this i'm like is that like a thing with cats that I don't know about? <laughs> like, is this, this is like such a weird moment. I was like, why is that very important for both these things? But um, yeah, no, it dives right in. Yeah. And uh, not super explicitly at first, like as in uh, nudity or sexual, uh, but just like, <laughs> you know what the deal is. Like, okay. And but- so then, and then he's off to school, which is a quick, uh, a bit of a <laughs> whiplash situation. He's like, all right, mom. I'll see. I gotta go to creative writing class. The one class in the middle of the day that I'm going to. Which, <laughs> exactly. Which is, I just have the one class. 
which we mentioned that <laughs> the film has you know numerous different cameos but then mm-hmm. even the, what bit of a cast we get because we don't have a lot of people that we spend much time with outside of like the main trio and then a couple police officers mm-hmm. um but the other people that we see on the side are our character actors that like everybody knows like having glenn shaddix as as the creepy uh school teacher who the the average person clearly knows from from beetlejuice would be demolition man yeah but so like those <laughs> characters you know but he i mean he's dressed as a normal person here but he's still really creepy because he's clearly a pervert of sorts um yeah i did not get that until very recently i was like for whatever naive reason he's like i don't he's like i have he basically intimidates that he's gonna he's like i'm on to you yeah uh charles you're you're no normal or like your story is true you're not from ohio which i think it's funny he's like as soon as he said he's from ohio i'm gonna then i'll buy that who moves from ohio to indiana in it doesn't age? make any sense <laughs> yeah, please. No, with a car like that <laughs> i know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna force myself upon him but then it's weird because then he like like on top of that he breaks his wrist in the scene and it's just yeah. weird because i'm like i don't get I feel like this is poorly planned out overall. If well, I had no, I, I <laughs> see, that, yeah. that's one of the things that I want to talk about uh, yeah. early on with it is that while the incest thing isn't necessary it, because it's taboo, uh, because mm-hmm. it's outside of the norm, people will be put off by it, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily pinpoint them as as evil because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you see at first when when uh, when Charles is basically, you know, fighting back against, you know, the teacher, that there's a prism that in your mind you could be like, oh, no, this guy's bad. And that's why he's attacking him and everything. But when you get the turn, the turn's not necessarily like, oh, he's super bad, because as the movie's going along, it's telling you that Charles is definitely a dick and he's yeah. not somebody that you're supposed to be rooting for. Yeah. And it sets up. So it starts off, you know, with not just the whole idea that like, they're the only ones they are the last ones. And, you know, that usually starts some sort of, you know, sympathy. And then he, in his creative writing class, he's wrapping up a story, which is a paper thin <laughs> allegory for he and his mom. Like, yeah. I feel like even the teacher would be like, it's about you. I get it. Um, I feel like that's what probably every creative writing teacher has to say after every reading. Like it's about <laughs> you. All right, cool. Um, but uh, which is about where these mon- like these two people who are monsters and are constantly have to flee because they're chased out. So there's a sense of like cultivating sympathy. Yeah. And then at some point there is a turn, and when that turn comes, he is full of quips. He has all these lines coming and going. And well, like- but it's even it's even <laughs> before that is like what I saw because in my mind I hadn't seen the movie for years, and mm-hmm. so all I remembered was that there's the the turn where he gets super rapey, and in the yeah. graveyard. But upon this watch, I'm like, oh no, it's definitely if you have seen the movie before when he's attacking the teacher, Mr. Fallows, you're like, no, he's clearly being a dick and an aggressor there. Like he's not doing it to protect himself. He's doing it just because he, he gets off on this. Yeah. And then he uh, is just joyriding and speeding throughout town to the point where he's continually doubling back and doubling back again, just to fuck with the police officer. 
and yes, and he wants to run over like so. There's a police the chase kids, later, yeah. and he wants to run over the school kids. There's a lot of and like that's a moment where you're like, okay, is he a sympathetic monster? We're very familiar with that, you know, in horror and like no, or like the idea, like the vampire, like the sad romantic vampire, right? He's like, I've got to, I've got to kill people, and I yeah. ah, this curse. You call it a gift. It's a curse. <laughs> um, but this one's like. Yeah, no, he, he's terrible. Like, you should not you know, feel sympathy for these people. Like, let's say, like, not, not only do they do that thing to the girl in uh, the backyard of Puppet Master, but yeah. uh, they also are terrorizing anyone they can. Anyway they can. <laughs> well, but I, I, I find that interesting because it's not really something that you're getting a lot of yeah. at the time. Because technically, the, the character then that is the most uh, sympathetic is, is Tanya herself. Mm-hmm. But you don't spend a lot of time with her. Like you, you do kind of jump and see, you know, a little bit of her life. You you see the little bit of time that she spends, you know, uh, with her dad, who, of course, is played by the great uh, Lindman Ward, who's, you know, one of those wonderful uh, character actors that when you're younger, it's not until you're, you're older that you're like, this guy was permanently 45, wasn't he? Yeah. He was just always 45 with like the gray and, and, and white hair and always looked the same, but he, he's everyone's dad. Exactly. And I mean, that's what he is in this one. I mean, you don't yeah. get to spend a lot of, of time with him, but still you're getting to spend a little time with Tanya, but never enough time is spent with, with Tanya to make it feel like she's the main character because you're, no. you're always yeah. seeing things through the eyes and the POV of where things are, you know, with, with Charles and his mom which is really interesting, like I said, because you don't have lots of films that that the people who are basically the villains of the film are are the one that you're spending this time with. And Charles, for the majority of the time, is is the aggressor who's causing the problems. Like as as creepy as Mary uh, is, because of course she's played by the Grace, the great mm-hmm. uh, Alice Krieg, who uh, most people would would know. Uh, from either the first Silent Hill movie or, of course, famously as the Borg Queen in Star Trek. First Contact, yeah. And, and then Voyager 2. And then, oh, that's right. And then uh, she was also in Ghost Story for all you other horror nerds. <laughs> but <a> good movie. <laughs> compared, compared to Charles, she's she seems like she's going to go crazy at any moment, but he's the one who very much is. And like, they even set it up early on before you get the turn that he is just a piece of shit that like when, when Tanya comes over to the house, he's like, Oh crap. I can see in the, in the mirror that you can see that my mom's a, a a naked, creepy cat person. And she's got the, you know, the scissors and everything. And you're like, Oh, she's going to do something. And he's, he's really on edge, but there's never really a point that she's, you know, like seriously on the verge of freaking out early on. Yeah. And there's also that, again, that kind of constantly plays with expectations because there is a sense that Charles, like, I don't want to hurt her, but what he just wants to do is make sure that, you know, he's basically grooming or preferring it the right way. Yeah. He's, you know, he's toying with it like a cat. (laughs) <laughs> um and you know kind of bring it up but like she's always like isn't she ready and he's like not yet and you're like oh he doesn't he's the good one and she's like a lady Macbeth type or whatever like no yeah. no they're like she's just not as strong and is way more terrified of cats so it's really <laughs> up to charles to take care of things now like i said we we mentioned the 
the actors early on as being something that definitely stands out for the movie. But are there are there any other moments from the film that that stick out to you as an oh yeah this is when I think of Sleepwalkers this is what I think of the two I mean there's actually a bunch but the two top ones are um, <laughs> there's one part where the sheriff yeah the sheriff shoots um, Mary right the mom Mary um, yeah. Uh, she was with a shotgun while she's being attacked by a cat. So the shotgun blast goes <laughs> into her and into the cat, and the cat goes flying into the wall after her. And it's such, and it's such a clearly weird, like hilarious sight gag. Yeah. Um, also, quick note that the cat attacks in this look better than they did in Let the Right One In, which was made many years later. Which is yeah. So yeah. I, I, I was surprised by that. <laughs> I, I think. One of the, or I'll let you get to the second one, and I'll mention like the main thing that that's always stuck uh, in my 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 head when it comes to this film. Sure, and then the other thing is the, um, it was like one of the first movies I think, one of the earliest, probably second or third maybe, that used like morphing technology where like you go between like different types of faces. Yeah, and it does that uh, during the pursuit, and it <laughs> looks a lot like the uh, stop motion section of Michael Jackson's Moon. Black or white. Yeah, and black or white, which was directed <laughs> by John Landis. So, um, so, but it's just like this weird moment where, because uh, the cat Clovis, an amazing character, uh, jumps up, looks out the window, and it freaks out Charles. And so he goes through all these things where he looks like himself. Then it's like Ron Perlman in Beauty and the Beast. Then he looks like his full cat person head thing. Then a baby, and then back to regular Brian Krause. Um, and it's just like this is such a weird, clearly comedic shot, but it's also like this great, like little monster bit. And, you know, so if you're a big fan of monsters, you're like, oh, look at all these things. It's weird. And it's also like a cat that's causing it. <laughs> now, now, you mentioned the, the part that definitely sticks out in in my <laughs> mind uh, is the the catter of Clovis. I, I did. I'm looking. I can't find the name for who played Clovis. So I sincerely uh, apologize to those um, cat enthusiasts who are doing them. But Sparks. I'm, Sparks. There we go. Sparks. His name is Sparks. And uh, yeah, Mick Garris is a quick sign. Mick Garris, like on the special feature on the um, Shout or Screen Factory Blu-ray, he's like, this cat is amazing. <laughs> he's like, yeah. he's like legitimately more moved by the cat than any human actor. He was working. He was like, all oh, this cat, like I didn't even, I wouldn't even instruct to do something. It just would start purring at the right, the, at the right time. <laughs> it's like, it's such a great moment. And, and that, but that's what always stood out to me for mm-hmm. years. That's what I remembered from the movie was, was the creepy incest. And then Clovis, sure. the attack cat, which yes, it, that's <laughs> what it says on the collar, the attack cat. And that it's, it's so, it's so great. I mean, Clovis is the one who basically saves the day and the end. He and, and breaks like, a window open. Exactly. Like a glass window. Like, there's a shot where he jumps up onto a roof. <laughs> He's running from a window. Next shot, psh, glass breaks like stone cold right there. He j- He's jumping <laughs> through it. And he's like, all right, time to make time to mess up someone's face. Because like, it's revenge. Because it's revenge. Yeah, he's like, it's the, uh. it's, yeah, it's the cop plot of someone killed my partner. I have to get revenge. And as you you're mentioning the the effect <laughs> when Clovis is on Mary looks yeah. really good. Like you're 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 watching it. You're like, how did they do that? Because that's great. But yeah, I, I my favorite part before that is when uh, Clovis goes over and lays on um, 
on Deputy uh, Simpson oh, when he yeah. dies because the cat just goes over and, you know, and has just a sweet moment of just, you know, laying on top of him, just like, what's, what's, what's happened? Like, it, it's just there and, and Clovis is mourning him. And like, you're like, okay, this shouldn't be a moment yeah. that I'm like, that I'm choking up on. It's just like, ah. Oh. But like the cat's great because the cat was the one who was telling him to begin with, dude, uh, I can see um, in my red prism that there is a cat dude (laughs) in this car that's invisible that you can't see. And the fact that the guy loves and trusts the cat so much, he's like, what is it? What do you see? I mean, I'm fortunate that, you know, that that leads him to be like, I need to find this guy later on and, and leads to his death. But but still, like Clovis is the one who's like, I know what's going on. I know what's up. Yeah, it's kind of like these three stories that are happening, and which I know sounds ridiculous for like one to be like police cat on the squad. <laughs> but um, but I like the like there's Tanya's story of like yeah, you know, if it had been from Tanya's vantage, being like, who's the new guy? And then she would have just like met like the mom, and the mom was seen kind of off, not really. And then oh my god, sleepwalkers. Um, then there's a story of obviously the sleepwalkers from their perspective. And then there's also a story of like small town cop and it's quirky because he has a cat instead of a dog or a real partner. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of follow the cat like cat's eye as he like navigates the town. Um, really great uh, comic called Beasts of Burden. Um, so it's kind of like that. But instead, they, they do have like these like places where it touches, where it intersects with these other stories. Yeah. But it's still the through line is um, Charles and Mary. And that's really fascinating. And they're not like, fun villains and you know it's not like near dark we're like well bill paxton is pretty funny and fun like, <laughs> you're just like you guys are just awful people or awful cat people but i doesn't that feel doesn't that come off as as very stephen king or yeah or like a a, a novel format where you're jumping Definitely. around with with you know multiple different characters and you technically have you know several concurrent stories but yeah I, if it, if it was going from the the natural movie uh, narrative perspective, I think that you'd focus on Tanya, or at least that's what you mm-hmm. would expect is is have it be yeah. from her eyes, you know, have it be along the lines of like a fright night, in a way. Yep. You know where where she notices some weird things are going on, and she's like, "What are they? They are they're not like cat people or something, are they?" <laughs> Yeah, and then or like the, she would pull up and be like, "What's up with all these cats?" Yeah, and then these things starting to come together, and, no. and have have there be like a run in where where she's where she sees something weird, but she doesn't know if she sees it, and yeah. she goes to the um the police department and tells uh, the the main sheriff, you know, hey, I saw this and it's reporting, and he's like, ah, you're just crazy, but um deputy or whatever he is, Simpson is there and he's like wait a second like turns to clovis and he's like yeah wait a second clovis, this <laughs> this isn't the same guy that we ran into the other day is it <laughs> yeah, right. this isn't what you were trying to tell me was it yeah exactly but, and I mean, then it's a lot of the, and it's a lot of um yeah it's very unexpected in that way because it's, it's spending time with these people that aren't good aren't uh are clearly villainous yeah and you know, and and not in a way like you root for them, where you're like they're not like anti heroes or like ah, give it to them. Because really, most of the people they take out, and they end up killing quite a few, aren't like terrible outside of Glenn Shaddix's <laughs> character. Yeah, for the most part, I don't think any of them. Everyone else, they're just like kind of doing their job, and they're like, <laughs> "Hey, what's up?" He's like, "Nah, I'm not having it. I need to 
I need some souls. I need to bang my mom. <laughs> I need to to inject my mom with your souls. Yeah. And then there's also a very Stephen King thing later where the state police get involved, cities get involved. Okay, that's that that's like what weird... I wondered because like in, in yeah. the in the credits, they don't differentiate them, but because they have the different hats, yeah. like that's how you're able to and they have the the badges are are slight just ever so slightly shaped yeah. differently but it's it's right. mainly the hat, the hat so like when ron perlman comes busting through <laughs> we know ron perlman now um but like when you're seeing him you're just like okay we we haven't seen you before so who are you and like they, they don't <laughs> even fully no address way. like calling in the other people but like you have the the guy who steps in the trap outside and like you have half uh the local police and half like either the highway patrol or the state troopers. Yeah. And just everyone's descending on this house at the wrong time. And it's just, it is fascinating. It, it doesn't feel like you're missing out on stuff. No. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't feel like, oh, there must be a scene or like, I wanted to know more about this or there must be a scene delete. It just feels like life is continuing. And then sometimes <laughs> you just like are like intersecting with like, oh, these fucked up cat people. Like, and, yeah. and then you're just like, okay, that's happening. And like, meanwhile, there's a weird, clearly weird like history and aggression between Ron Perlman. And, I, I uh, yeah, I think I think that <laughs> I think that I think the rift through some of like the the town's characters not getting enough <laughs> of that and not getting enough on uh, like the background of the cat people are 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 like the two gripes you could legitimately have with mm-hmm, with the movie. Yeah. But at the same time, the best way to to look at this is is coming from the perspective of of Stephen King had adapted his own work before and he did lots of, you know, his, his own writing for, for novels and stuff. But the one thing that he hadn't really attempted was, was to just make a screenplay. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that, that, that's evident here, but it's never uh, to a time that it's a, a, a huge detriment because you see him yeah. trying things and you, you see that there's interesting avenues, but you don't really have lots of examples of that. Like the most recent example we, we have is of course, you know, because of when we're uh, recording this in, in mid April that we just had uh, the third fantastic beast movie mm. come out. And th- like, that's the most recent example I can think of where you have somebody who spent, you know, their career as a writer and hadn't really like, because I mean, she didn't even adapt, you know, the, yeah. her, her novels, but, but here she is, you know, trying her hand at screenplays and stuff. Uh, but, but I definitely think that like the story and the stuff that, that King's going for as, as weird and offbeat as it might be at times feels more complete than like the stuff that she's trying. And I know it's different because she's working in a world that already exists and everything yeah, but, but she made that world i mean i think what the difference is is man is like if i feel like if i had asked steaming then maybe not now but if i asked him then like what was the story up with like that character what was that like with like romper romans like captain captain soames yeah i feel like he would have actually a really deep like biography for everyone oh yeah like, i think he had everything in his head and then he was like all right let's cut that or we don't have time to spend on that yeah or you know and then he like kind of stripped out that script so it was kind of these things but like it was a lived in world of lived in characters which is weird and fascinating for a movie about incestuous murderous cat people 
<laughs> who are ultimately undone by a legion of cats. Yep. Including, and it's a movie with a shot, a long shot of <laughs> slow motion cats taking to the streets to take down these monsters. Yes. It is fantastic. It's great. Those are fantastic beasts. Uh, well, what you got in the theaters these days, let me tell you. Yep. But yep. no, that was, um, <laughs> it, it feels like this, it's like, oh, despite all these like really like kooky and campy bits or easily could be campy bits, there is like a real sense of like, it's just like a slice of life. It just happens to be the day that like the monsters showed up. Yeah. I, and I, I think that's one of the things that people can hold uh, onto with it. It's it, just because of how yeah. off offbeat it is, but because yeah, as weird as the offbeat is, which of course th- this is a movie where we have, you know, the early on reflections of uh, a naked cat person in a mirror mm-hmm. and then that evolves to being seeing two naked cat people having sex uh reflected in the mirror is that with all that it's still relatively grounded yeah like there shouldn't be yeah they're they're the weird they're the weird thing but they're the extent of the weirdness everything else is believable as being normal small town life you might Absolutely. have some bumbling bits with like the, the interaction that Ron Perlman has, you know, with, with the sheriff or the fact that, you know, like I said, there's the guy who steps into the trap and, and you have all the all the cops and, and troopers and everybody is trying to pull this one guy out of the trap that you don't need like eight people right there for that. <laughs> and meanwhile, you've got 76 cats that are, you know, all around the house, but it's still still with all that. It 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 has that that king. Uh, small world feel to it yeah it's like yeah it it has like i think that's kind of always been this, the two selling points arguably and i'm sure there's many more but mm-hmm. to me for king is that he's able to really drill down on like what makes people afraid yeah but he's also then able to like put it in a world that feels like lived in and sometimes to the detriment where he goes off on like watch too far into the deep biography and it's like oh yeah by the way that dog's still gonna eat that thing like oh that's right um <laughs> Like when he goes into those long affair passages in Cujo, it's like, anyways, back to the rabbit Saint John Bernard. <laughs> um, but like, but when he does it really well, it's like you feel like, okay, these are people, and they're being faced with like the greatest fears we all know, and that's kind of works here. And what's it's a fun mix of like really believable and um, like interesting characters without everyone being quirky, yeah. but then like a lot of like just random weird shit enough that like you're like, okay, that's fun. You know, like, oh, it sprinkles it up and never feels heavy, but it doesn't feel like too light either. It's a, no, it's just right. I, I think I think it's doing enough. I, I know that I'm overusing the, the word. So so bear with me. Uh, interesting things. But but I think that's true because I think there's a way that you could do this movie and have it be, you know, as dull as shit. And you yeah. could you could do this movie and you could have it be so over the top that there's there's nothing tethered tethering it to reality at all but i think that the the little pieces and little flares that it's adding to it is what makes it uh good i i also wanted to give a special shout out to uh rodney uh charters who is the the cinematographer for the movie oh yeah uh because there's there's lots of 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 shots that are evocative and that like the way it's moving through the house at certain points or there's a shot 
um, when they get to Homeland, like how the the cameras careen the down the like, cemetery. By the way, yeah, good we blend that out. Not just like when they get to their homeland of Catopia. (laughs) Oh, if only, if only that's in the long-awaited sequel. But it like the way it swoops down, you know, from from through the tree to come, you know, right down to to the ground level. It's it's just these little shots, but it's giving you enough pieces so that that you're you're paying attention, you know, and and you're interested and you're investing, even when everything you know hits the fan and. And everyone's crazy, and and um, Charles is spending the the latter quarter of of the movie, you know, in uh, cat face makeup, and also barely alive. So, yeah, um, and yeah, it's um, I was told that they don't. There's not an over explanation, even with like that opening definition, whatever. They're yeah. Like, and obviously they can turn things invisible like, <laughs> like, or they can morph a car to look slightly different. And I, it's, like, it, but it's <laughs> a, it's a, it's a unique enough uh, yeah, a, oh, ability okay. that, that it definitely sticks in your mind that they're able to, to do some weird thing like that, you know? And especially because yeah. she's like, it, it's a learned trait too, because of the fact that when he's so hurt and everything, you know, she tells her, you know, to, it, it, it feels very Stephen King. In, in that mm-hmm. way that that he's taking that moment when when Charles is hurt, you know, and, and Mary tells him, you know, to to, to focus and see if he yeah. can if he can do it, you know, and he's able to blip out, but then back in like that feels very Stephen King that there's all the things he's going to explain to you, but he's not going to explain to you how they have these powers, but he's going to devote time to people who are practicing uh, harnessing <laughs> yeah. or, or using and, uh, their powers. And it also helps that these aren't uh, overall like any monsters we experience. Like, you know, you're like, wait, how can these zombies do that? Or like, you know, or audience expects vampires to act a certain way yeah. or they act different than those expectations. Someone has to be like, well, it's not like the movies or like, well, these are different types or whatever it is. This one, you can like, I mean, can you prove to me sleepwalkers wouldn't be able to turn something invisible? Because everybody <laughs> that just invented sleepwalkers. I don't yeah, think you can. You can't. Gotcha. <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry, Screen Rants. You can't write an article on the five things that are wrong with sleepwalkers and have this be number one. Check in, mate. Oh, we got you this time. Um, I think that's a really good way to segue to the fourth question, which I know... Mm-hmm. We mentioned something in the past, so I'm not sure if there's anything more recent, but it's usually uh, what, what would you say either, you know, the contemporary at the time or or modern films that line up well with Sleepwalkers are. And of course, you already said Cat People, you know, which came out mm-hmm. 10 years before it is one of the closest. But can you think of anything else that kind of operates on a level of, of Sleepwalkers? Because I can't think of anything off the top of my head unless I'm going more into like the 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 shapeshifters and like werewolf type type area. Sure, I mean the only thing I can think of, and it's not like a unique creature, like sleepwalkers, but um, it, it would be like let the right one in or let me in because it's basically that's one other thing where it's like you're tracking with someone that has like a real very specific history and kind of has very specific properties, but you're also like oh, um, and it kind of cultivates sympathy. But you're like oh, maybe I really shouldn't be that sympathetic. And also for both, you know, for both the uh, vampire and young child, those are both like, no, nah, something's, something's not right with those two. Um, 
And I think that kind of that works similar here. But in terms of other things, I'm trying to think of like any other movie that's really has kind of like that unique uh, setup with like kind of playing with you know your um, alliance or your uh, your sympathies, and also has like a very unique like mythology that wasn't previously explored. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. So I mean, nothing's really coming to mind at the moment besides something like let the right one in or. Um, I can't think of it. I'm trying to think of anything else at the moment. Like, no, not that. And I think that's kind of the thing. It's like every time I keep coming up with something in my head, I'm like, oh, that was kind of from that perspective. No, <laughs> like, um, like you know, like behind the mask, for example, would be a yeah. similar idea of being like the slasher, but they're actually, you know, for some reason we're okay watching them, and I'm like, oh, that's right, they're terrible. Um, but that one is still played out longer it's literally using a lot of the same conventions mm. and you know talking to them explicitly uh in the references so um i, I can't think of too anything else i feel like there'd be like a john carpenter movie that'd be similar but i can't think of it well no i guess i mean that's because when you toss in like the the shape-shifting aspect to it there mm. there's not a lot because anytime yeah. that you have like the shape-shifting aspect to it it's usually about like the whether it be something like along the lines of like the, the fly you know where yeah. where it's it, it it's the there's the sympathetic aspect mm-hmm. to it which as we've discussed is something that they definitely do away with in, in these you know and i mean you could kind of go in a way for i mean you mentioned the vampire so that's interesting but you know your mind my mind also was going to something like werewolves because of mm-hmm. it, it's technically a shapeshifter but even that doesn't work because you don't have any movies th- that are like that because when you're in this when you have something like the werewolf you're usually on the side of the person who's who's transforming. Like you, your POV is right. that person, and it's usually that like there's something that they're trying to fight off. Whether they they're worried about transforming into it because they're worried about giving into their carnal instincts and you know the problems they're going to cause. Whereas uh, Charles definitely gives into that with reckless abandon, even to the point where where we don't. I guess we could easily say that we don't know what Mary's fully capable of. Yeah. Because anytime we see her act or, or in an actionable state, it's because technically Charles already brought it to them. You know, you get the sense that she's maybe going to do something. Like I said, early on when Tanya's visiting the house, but you don't, and Charles is the one that you see out at the wilds, you know, uh, go, you know, attacking the teacher, you know, or yeah, making the move and, on Tanya, and then going after the the. I think he's a deputy. I feel bad saying deputy the whole time, being like, I technically don't know what type of law enforcement they have in this small town. <laughs> is it is it a is it a voting system? Who who is appointing these people to their position? Is he technically a cost, constable? I don't. <laughs> It, it's you know I think that's also one of the flaws that we need to uh, discuss <laughs> is the lack of regional uh, governance and exploding <laughs> that. But yeah, I think it's just like you can see how many different ways this movie would play out in yeah. other hand. And, you know, you can see that it would be again like just focus on Tanya, or it could be like Charles fights against his mom. And it's like we should we belong dead. You know, that's <laughs> um. Or whatever, or you know, they're sympathetic and they, yeah. um, they're whatever it is, but it doesn't. And I think it's part of it is coming, you know, having McGarris's second film after Critters Two, and you know, a long 
future ahead of him and so many other horror projects, so many other Stephen King projects. And Stephen King just coming together and just being like, no, we want this to be really idiosyncratic. Like, you're going to have, like, hints of other movies. Like, you know, again, I think there's the obvious, obvious one is Capule. Besides that, like, you kind of think it's going to go this way or that way. and But ultimately... Or it's just its own thing. And it's that's why I think it's fast. That's why when you're like, what about this movie? I was like, yes, that movie. I was like, jumped on. I was like, yep, that's the one. Because it's it's something I can't, it's not necessarily like my favorite movie or even my favorite McGarris or Stephen King film. But yeah. it's a film that I'm just like, there's something about this that is very unique. And it, it you know, it's, it goes from being like full of quips and blood and gore to like these trying to be like very tender moments shot mm. with a fake golden hour Norman Rockwell <laughs> type uh, filters. And then it's just something that's really interesting. Yeah. And that, know, that's, it, that's Mick Garris's big thing that he said that he's always yeah. been uh, attached to is Norman Rockwell goes to hell. Yeah. That's absolutely. Yeah. That is uh, perfect. And I think that's also kind of Stephen King and most in his works up until mm. Like tonight, and you know, until he kind of went into more like Dark Tower stuff and everything else, I think his biggest hits up up to ninety two are probably Small Town America, Suddenly, versus Nightmares. So. Yes, I, as as we we head towards the fifth and final question and start to wrap things up, I think you hit the hail the nail on the head earlier when you mentioned uh, how you watched this movie uh, most recently, which which wasn't on Pluto TV, but was on uh the scream factory uh mm-hmm. blu-ray it's a double disc i think it's just one Could be okay but it's still it's still the the collector's special edition yeah. whatever it has a bunch of features and everything yeah. exactly and i think that tells you uh the majority of what you need to know ab- about this film is that there's enough there that people have been hanging on to this movie for a long time or there's something about it that that people are revisiting it to the point where they knew and had the confidence that not only were they going to produce these special features <laughs> but they were going to do a brand new scan of yeah. of the movie and and even like anytime any of these boutique labels do that they're not it's not just because somebody's like oh yeah i want to do this this one movie like <laughs> what you have to understand is not every studio is out there you know uh, willing to do a 4k scan of you know the original camera negatives or inner positive or you know whatever 35 millimeter elements they have they don't that that's one of the sad things about media nowadays is that while we do have access to so much stuff uh, mm-hmm. there might be stuff that you come across on on amazon or wherever that it looks really chintzy and and bad and that's because they you know they they haven't done a remaster of it but here we are talking about 30 years of sleepwalkers and they, they put in the money and made the investment, you know, to give it the scan because they knew that there were people out there who were going to buy it and people who were going to clamor over. Yeah. And I think that's the, the big thing is that, and the other thing that people forget about is that the film was a success technically yeah, for, for how far down on, on Stephen on the list of Stephen King projects, people have put this film that it doubled its budget at the box office and it wasn't a huge amount. I think it was a film that was made for 15 and made like 30 at yeah. the, at the box office, but still it, it made back its money in, in a time 
where advertising wasn't the same as what it is nowadays. So you don't have as much of a hurdle. It's not like, yeah, the Batman cost $125 million, but we're not factoring into the budget is that there was $100 million spent on 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 advertising. So it has to make, you know, over $300 million to be considered even a minor success that, no, back in the day, you doubled your box office, you were considered a hit. But because of the subject matter and everything it feels like that's why the the film dropped down and because it wasn't the biggest home run in the world and there are oddities and there are pieces of the film that don't really work that that's why people shied away from it um what stuck in my mind and this is going to sound like a weird tangent but we were talking about you know contemporary or modern films that kind of feel like it mm-hmm. uh, while this doesn't work we're sitting at an interesting point again we're sitting in april 2020 when we're talking about this and everything and we just had 2022 sorry 2022 time is it doesn't matter it's all falling apart um april 2022 uh and recently in the last month we had um what's called uh bad water bad water deep water what's it the anadarmus and uh oh yeah um Deep water. Deep water. Uh, we, we had Deep Water came out, and the big the reason why I mentioned that is because that movie came out, and everybody was talking about, oh, it's the return of of the erotic thrillers. We haven't really had movies like that uh, for years and years, where you have the the steamy sex and the weird mystery and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, while this film doesn't fit that to a T, it kind of explains like may- maybe that's where part of the resurgence has come from is because there's been a big resurgence in the last couple of years since we haven't had movies uh, of that ilk that people are going back and and they're, um, you know, they're coming across movies like whether it be uh, Shattered that I know that uh, how did this m- get made an episode on or Disclosure <laughs> or or Sliver <laughs> or or Basic Instinct and Fatal Attraction that while this doesn't fully fit in there, you do have that erotic thriller aspect of, you know, the taboo relationship, you know, yeah. of the, of the incest and, and, and the sex and, and, and that, that, that steaminess and the sweat and everything that comes from it that I'm like, maybe that's one of the things that when people have been looking up these other movies for the last couple of years, that sleepwalkers ends up on that list. Cause mm-hmm. I can easily see that being something that people that, that because this film the best way to describe it is that it's a Stephen King film. But beyond that, because we have to have like 15 designators for any movie, you can easily see that, that one of the, the ways that somebody tagged this movie on whether it be letterbox, IMDb or, or some places put erotic thriller in there. Yeah. And I think it's, um, you know, I think part of it is it's a sexually charged movie, not as in it's like super hot, but as in like, you know, there's, like that is definitely what's feeling things like they want time. She's a virgin. Like that's a big part of it. Yeah. And the other thing is like, while that's a common trope in a lot of horror movies, it's usually not a trope as in um, that, you know, that the person that's hunting them because they're virgin <laughs> is also having sex all the time and yeah. also having sex with their mom specifically. So, you know, it's a kind of, again, that's that weird angle to it. And it was at a time, like every rock thriller, even then had like a weird, like taboo hook, like with basic instinct, it was um, a lot of like the queer scene at the time. And then body of evidence was kind of like BDSM, but not really. Yeah. Um, Jade was David Caruso trying to have a career. <laughs> Boom. 
Um, and you know, they all had like, kind of like the feeling like that's not right. Yeah. So I think that is part of it too. And it is, hopefully you haven't, or you have seen it and that's why you listen to the part because you have that experience where when you're watching it and you're like, oh, okay, they're having a sex scene. Like at first, like the first <laughs> moment, the first time they get intimate, you're like, oh, that's not right. Okay. And then the next time you're like, oh, okay, it's a sex scene. It's bad. And then the like, part with you, you're like, bam. Those are monsters. Just, it's like it's like something like the Howling Two. Your sister's a werewolf. Where like they're that weird wolf orgy, and yep. like, but you but you don't see it. And it's also in like the rural suburbia when they're surrounded by like <laughs> some crooner song and everything. Like it's just it is such an odd quick shift. That I feel like people are like, oh okay, that's something else. Yep. Or you know, it flipped a switch and a bunch of other people, and now we have furries. That's uh... who can say. Who, who can say uh, Stephen King is at the heart of it? So I think to wrap <laughs> things up, we have to ask the final question, which yeah. we've heard the majority of what you said, but we're still we're still curious, you know, to see where you come down. And that's having rewatched the film again recently. Do you think that the the reverence that people have for that, that you have for the movie is still worthy? Um, has it grown in esteem at all? Or do you feel like maybe the shine slowly getting buffed away from the film and and, and maybe it, it doesn't so much have its status i think it it holds up better than i expected it to uh just for me and then i don't think it, i think it should have a higher uh rating i mean nothing i don't think anything's overrated or underrated but there should have been there should be a bigger reappraisal of it reappraisal of it and more conversations around it because it is very odd um mm-hmm. there's parts you know if you like monster effects or stuff to like if you like you know special effects or stuff to like if you like horror you're like, those are those filmmakers there's you know campy elements and all this other stuff but it also feels like a weird intersection like that's kind of hard to exactly describe but that moment between like the lived in uh movies of the 80s like fright night for example oh. and then something like i don't know like jason goes to hell or something where it tries to be a little bit more tries to inject splatterpunk and okay. also like ridiculous physics. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of feels situated in between there because there'll be seen like when like Ron Perlman's like arm gets like jacked or when, that, <laughs> or when she stabs a dude with corn. Yeah. She kills someone with corn on the cop. Um, so like that's ridiculous, but it's also still in a world that kind of feels like they all like know each other. And, yeah. Like, you know, they, they'll mention names of characters we won't see. And, but it doesn't feel like, they're trying to establish backstory. It's just, again, it just feels like, well, you know how Meredith is. And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> and, but, you know, and so I think it is like that really interesting intersection. Yeah. I, I think it would be very interesting to like have a double feature of this and traders cat people. Yes. Cause I don't think cat people works. It has a, a fantastic score and a really good cast, but I think cat people is just pretty much a mess. And well, it's, I mean, that's... I think this works. I know it's a completely different discussion to have, mm-hmm. um, but I think that's kind of a a, a Schrader trope where you have uh, mm-hmm. the yeah. the the subject matter, the taboos that's in there, and you have ideas, but it's not. It's either his disinterest at some point, or studio mm-hmm. disinterest seems to get in the way of that. Whereas, even though this wasn't the biggest movie, because it was Stephen King. And the track record that that he had for years, that it seems like that's why they could do. They could try things, 
and even yeah. if they didn't work they were given the the option of 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 trying things like i know that even though i haven't seen it in a while cat people feels more stilted overall absolutely does than and yeah than like there's one. so much downtime yeah and like and then you'll cut back and like it's malcolm mcdowell covered in like some viscera because he just was reborn out of the cat you're like oh and it's like and back to how a zoo works you're like i don't why are we going back here um <laughs> so i think that's and i also think probably because you know schrader was a name at that point yeah um whereas you know mick garris wasn't this was a second film so they went with someone that wasn't super well known they mm-hmm. stephen king is the real hook of the whole thing oh yeah so i'm sure that therefore and it was a lower budget or you know modest budget for everyone involved um going to the right places so i think they probably were just like hope it works out yeah well (laughs) i i think with with schrader with with the type of name you have you 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 have expectations and they have to to fit fully in those expectations and if if you have anything that deviates or is boring in any way whereas king because he is somebody who even within his writing he's known for for jumping all over the place and working with a whole bunch of potentially disparate elements that, mm. that if you have the weird interstitials that you do in this movie, it's okay to do so. It's, it, it's okay to, to have a scene be creepy and then have it followed up by a twinge of being weird and then having it just be small town life and then jumping to, Hey, we're, we're going to have, you know, the fight in the, in the graveyard uh, between these several characters um but but the crux of not necessarily the thing that fully kills the the officer but he i mean thing that i completely forgot about i remember he got shot i completely forgot about him basically getting jokered and and having the the pencil um being pushed in into the ear and then having it be stuck there with you know the, the the little bit of blood coming out of his ear but he's like still operating and it's like that weird like even it yeah but I mean, it, no, it, it, so you can do weird stuff like that. And because you have the name of Stephen King attached to it, that, that people are are willing to be more accepting of that. Yeah. And it's not, well, at the same time, you're like, it's not going to be some, because if it's a you know studio picture shot on a studio lot, it's also, you know, it's not going to be like some crazy, you know, like Peter Jackson, like gore fest <laughs> everywhere or something like insane, yeah. but you know, there's going to be something interesting about it. Um, and there's also is going to be some death and also has a pretty nice body count overall. Yeah. I I would completely agree. I was I was really surprised uh, <laughs> watching it. So I I'd like to thank you for for choosing this film. I do what I can. Also, again, if you like cats, there's gonna be a couple moments. I won't lie, some <laughs> of the cats don't make it out, and that's unfortunate. But really, there's some that like Clovis is a badass. Like the fact yeah. that we didn't get a Clovis spinoff, maybe I would argue Where's... it's one of Stephen King's greatest failures. Hey, people, who, whoever it is that 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 has the complete rights to this movie, get a hold of IDW, do <laughs> do a three uh, to to six issue. Uh, let's say four. Let's say four. Okay, yeah, four four to six issue. Uh, Clovis the Attack Cat uh, miniseries, where you can you can further extrapolate the world and you can have more and, and Clovis is out there and Clovis is kind of like the Frog Brothers and that he's he's now out there hunting down uh cat people well I mean sleepwalkers wherever they may roam. Or it could be like new ones each time. Like yeah. he fights a new thing and he's like, ah, I thought the sleepwalkers were bad. And like every time it's like a weird hybrid. 
It's like, well, these people are so, so he's, he's he's more like he's 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 the cat cop version of Kolchak. Yeah, I was thinking more like a horror version of uh, Lorenzo Lamas's Renegade, oh. but that would insinuate that he was framed, that Clovis was framed for crime. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, I got to get out of here. We got a high tail out of traps, oh, Indiana. God. <laughs> uh, seriously, like I cannot like more people need to see this movie just so for Clovis. we can make yeah. Clovis. Yeah, we if, make I, if you if, merchandise. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, fright rags. Where's where's our Clovis shirts? Uh Creepy oh. Co. Where's our our polo uh Hawaiian shirt <laughs> polo with uh with Clovis on it all over the place. We'll make that happen. Well, Rob, I want to thank you for coming <laughs> on and and uh and talking about this film. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. It was a blast revisiting it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was always excellent to speak with you. It, this is, uh, of course, um, as, as he and I have been, been joking, this is part two <laughs> of our, of our Stephen King, uh, animal series, because he informed me of what film is, uh, next year. So, I mean, it's kind of easy if you put two and two together and you, you look back at his catalog, but, um, weird Stephen King, um, movies with animals of a sort we'll just say to make sure to pluck and uh, brush up your bushiest <laughs> eyebrows uh for the next time uh, we do that but rob where can people find you out on the internet oh we've had a time um they can find me basically look at twitter at neurotic monkey uh it's probably the easiest way and then please visit uh neon splatter.com go for it go for it and you can find the show at horversary on Twitter because it's easy. Um, I will update you when episodes are coming out, uh, thanking the guests that we have on, letting people know what episodes or what movies they should be checking out and everything. Um, you can find me at yo Adrian Tours on uh, Twitter as well, just because it's easy. Once again, now Rob, something we've been doing for the last couple of years throughout mm-hmm. the, when we were, you know, in lockdown, the pandemic and everything, but I still want to keep it going. Cause it's easy. Uh, before I would ask people for three uh, recommendations of, you know, movies or TV shows that people should uh, grab. So I'm just going to ask you for one quick one. If there's a, a, a movie out there, either in theaters or streaming that you think that everyone should turn their attention to. There, I don't think it's on streaming. It should be. Shutter, pick it up. There's a movie called The Kindred. It's out right now in uh, Syaps, Syaps, uh Blu-ray. Okay. It's like a special edition. You probably go to Diabolic uh, DVD, but um, I think it'll probably be streaming somewhere soon. It is crazy. It's like a Lovecraftian. It would pair really well with Extra. It's weird. It has to do with genetic experimentation and this weird tentacle monster and rod steiger's there and who knows what's happening next i had never heard of it before and i just watched it like last week or two weekends ago i was like everyone must watch this thing (laughs) because it'll be it'll blow your way i don't think it's currently streaming but um uh yeah i i i found it um it is it actually technically has a connection uh with uh with the world that we are walking in uh, with this film uh, right now, uh, because it was written by several people. But one of the writers is uh, Joseph Stefano, um, who, of course, did Psycho and uh, Psycho 4. 
<laughs> which of course the reason why i mentioned that is because what we were talking about this being the second theatrical feature of mcgarris yeah. mcgarris of course did psycho for the the beginning and that's what helped him get this movie that that and critters 2 are basically what what yeah. weirdly allowed him to end up doing this but stephen king really liked psycho 4 by the way so yeah that's, everyone's looking that's for a reappraisal of that Guess uh, Stephen King could talk about, <laughs> but this movie or that you mentioned, uh, yeah. The Kindred, is by uh, the the two guys who directed the film The Power back yes, in the day. It's much better than that movie, though. Yeah, was... but but I'm just saying for for <laughs> you know for people who are looking for you know similar films and stuff. But it does you have the greatest it. tagline I've seen for this one, which is John's got a half brother, half human, half something else. Yeah. And then another one is uh, Anthony didn't ask to be brought into this world. And it's like this creepy monster. Yeah. Um, so it's not streaming, but you can rent and buy it on most digital platforms. Okay. There we go. That's a great one. Um, the one that I'm going to mention, I'm going to go really quickly because I know we, we jumped over the 90 minute mark that I usually try to try to stay yeah. at. Um, but the film that I'm going to mention is it's out still in some cities. If you're in a bigger city, there's a chance <laughs> you might be easier to see it. Um, but it's coming to streaming soon. Either some places are saying the 20th of April. Some places are saying the 20th of June, which I know that's a difference of two months, but it <laughs> means that it's going to be coming soon enough. And the place that it's going to land is on Netflix. So that's what I'm, I'm excited about. Uh, if you've been anywhere on the internet recently, and you're somebody who follows genre films, you may have seen people from all different backgrounds tweeting or uh, dances on uh on tiktok and instagram for a film called rrr yes it is a crazy and amazing uh film from india that feels like it's like 15 films uh in one uh but it is all wonderful uh it is completely insane and Mm -hmm. as the movie goes on progressively gets more and more insane but there's never a point where the insane things that are happening uh, feel incongruous with the film itself. Like the more insane things get, the more excited you get with the movie, but it's unleashing things uh, at a clip that you enjoy. Uh, mm-hmm. The actual title sequence of the film doesn't happen <laughs> until like the 45 minute mark. Um, <laughs> and it's a film that's three hours and seven minutes long. It doesn't feel that. No, not at all. I really enjoyed uh, the Batman. The Batman, you can feel the three hours. Yeah. This movie feels like it's half as long as as Batman, just because it moves at a clip. But when looking online, because uh, some places, of course, regardless of how well Indian movies do, they might only stay for like a week or two. Um, And so online, there were a whole bunch of people who were looking, and it turned out that there were two companies that were splitting uh the the streaming rights for it and one of it is in like any insight that's like z's i think which is like z e e s or something like that but then netflix is the other one since netflix has uh gotten into the realm of uh highlighting a whole bunch of of indian films and stuff so this is one that they're going to have some if it's not the end of april it's going to be in june when it comes out so uh when it pops up i definitely uh recommend uh, checking out the movie because uh, it is uh, it's lots of fun it's wonderful i would recommend watching it with people even if 
you're not, you know, can't all be together. Like, just have everyone watch it the same night around the same time because yeah. it's something that you're so well, you can just text each other and be like, that was insanity. <laughs> and, you know, basically, you just you need someone else there so you can turn to them, and be like, did I just see that? And they're like, yeah, you yeah. I mean, hey, if, if worse comes to worse, I'm I'll keep an eye. Uh, I know <laughs> I know it's not horror related, but I'll keep an eye on when uh, they do officially announce that the movie is, and I'll I'll make sure to tweet it out, and maybe Rob and I can grab a few other people together and 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 find a way to do some some watch along or yes. or tweet along or something like that. Um, but once again, Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. All right, and until next time, everybody. Be nice to each other.